God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 10. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you and this fly that I'm guessing is going to hang out with me most of the time I'm here. That's the last time I'll try to kill it. Um, hey man, I, I love this church and I love the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. I would love the opportunity to embarrass my children by introducing them, but I won't do that. I'll let you grab them after the service if you want to know their names. Um, but they're happy to be here with you too. Um, I'm not going to smack myself in the face. I thought about it for a minute, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not a smart man, but I'm smart enough not to do that. Hey, let me tell you really quickly how you guys have blessed me over the last week and how I've been praying for you this morning as a result of that. And then we'll pray and dive into God's word this morning. I don't know if you're new here because I'm new here and I don't know if you were here last week because I wasn't, but last week from the testimonies that have come to me, it seems like God moved in a really significant way. Maybe not like lightning falling from the ceiling, but God moved in a, in a way where someone was burdened to say, hey, I, I sense that there's people here that are struggling with sleeping issues and I think God wants to heal them and and it sounds like he is and has and is continuing to and that's incredible that's incredible first of all just as a demonstration of the power of God and the love of God and the mercy of God but I have struggled with sleep issues for as long as I can remember so I hear you guys talking about hey God's healing people in Shawnee of sleep issues and I'm like what can I do to get close to Shawnee I I, I want some of whatever you guys have and uh so, I mean, I've prayed with you and delighted in what God's doing there with you this morning. I'm praying that God will give me some of that as well. But the ironic thing for me, as I've celebrated God healing sleeplessness among you, I found myself provoked to pray that in a really different way, God would wake you up. In the same way that I'm asking that he would help you sleep as you lay your head down on your pillow, I'm asking him that he would wake you up and make you alive and awake to his word and make you alive and awake with his word. 
In fact, as I prayed for you this morning, I just had this image in my mind of, I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one among us that's done this, but has anyone else ever committed like, hey, I'm gonna sleep in tomorrow morning, best day of my life, I'm not setting an alarm, I don't have work, the kids are you know, with grandma or something else, I am going to sleep in. And you commit to sleep in, but because your blinds are inadequate or something else, you're awakened way earlier than you intended to with that ray of light that seems to be piercing you right in the face. Am I the only one that's been in that spot? Am I the only one here in the room? Are they always this aggressive, Ben? Maybe you were wishing that was you this morning. Um, I, I just had this image of like, hey, I, I want God to so pester us, if we can use that word, that even in places where we're resolved in our soul to be asleep to the things of God, that the light of the word of God would wake us up. And what would be said about this congregation of people is beyond all your talents, beyond all your skills, beyond your abilities or whatever else, that this people is awake to the word of God. And, and that God would make you awake with his word. So let me just pray that for us and for our time this morning, and then we'll dive into God's word together. So God, I ask for all of us, myself included, that you would wake us up even right now to your word. Make us attentive to what you have to say to us. I don't mean what I have to say. I mean your sovereign, inspired, perfect word that is without error. Would you wake us up to that? And, and, and only you can do that. We can't like pinch ourselves or punch ourselves in the side to be awakened. We can't resolve ourselves to be awakened to your word. Spirit of the living God, only you can awaken us to the word of God. So in this moment now, God, would you awaken us to your word? It's what we need more than anything else in the world. Awaken us to your word. And awaken us with your word. God, would you do something in this season in the life of Frontline Shawnee where the brothers and sisters in this room get awakened and stirred and provoked to the eternal life-giving word of the one true God. And move us now to humble ourselves underneath your word, God. All of us. This isn't a word from me to them. I'm asking you to humble all of us underneath your word. God, don't let us be arrogant and stand over your word and presume that we have the ability to rightly divide it. Instead, hold us up underneath your word and with your word would you rightly divide us. Help us to hear your voice this morning. I ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter two. We're gonna be in that section, verses one to 10, most of our time this morning. If you got a Bible with you, open it up and put your finger in it if you wanna close it in your lap. If you wanna open up your phone app, do that. I'll give you a second to get there. And as you're kind of getting situated with however you're gonna have God's word in front of you this morning, let me help those of you who are maybe new to Frontline or maybe haven't been to Frontline in a while. We are now, across all our five congregations together, studying Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. 
This is a church that Paul knew really well, people he had built deep relationships with. He'd been there, we think, for about 18 months before he went away, and when he went away, he got letters from people in the church asking him questions, and he had conversations with people, whether they were traveling or writing him letters as well, saying, hey, Paul, did you know about this going on in our church? Did you know about this going on in our community group? Did you know about this happening here? So what we get in this letter is we get Paul writing the church at Corinth to address questions that they've raised to him and for him to address concerns that have been made known to him. And in this letter, especially in the first section that we're in right now, he's reminding them about the message that he preached to them. He says, hey, let, let me remind you what every single thing you do is built on and oriented towards and animated by. Paul says in chapter one, everything I was about when I was with you was about Jesus. And, and last week in verses 18 to 31 of chapter one, Paul literally talks about the message that he preached among them. And, and he's talking about the content of the message. And he said, hey, when I was with you, I preached Christ crucified. Some people may think I'm an idiot for doing it, Paul says, but this is the wisdom and knowledge and power of God. He, he literally writes to them about the content of his sermons. And, and this week in our passage, he's still talking about his sermons, but instead of talking about the content of them, he's talking about their form. He, he's actually speaking to the Corinthians not about what he preached to them, but about how he preached what he preached to them. And he wants them to understand why he preached to them what he preached to them, how he preached it to them. So what I want us to do this morning is, I just want us to look at Paul's words, and before we dive into his words, let's get the main point of why he's doing what he's doing. Look at verse five with me in 1 Corinthians chapter two. In verse five, Paul tells us why he preached what he preached the way he preached it. And he says very simply, I did this so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, hey, I'm preaching what I'm preaching the way I'm preaching it because I want to have an impact on your faith. The full stop. Some of you among us might think, well, faith is what Christians have. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't have faith. But no, faith is what everyone lives by all the time. The question is, what is your faith in? The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Everyone believes that the world operates in a particular way and you living by faith is living and leaning into that. Stepping onto that, building your life on that. Paul says, I want your faith to rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power or in the power of God. Now, obviously, he's not saying that the power of God is antithetical to wisdom. He's using wisdom here to build a framework for what a worldview is. He's literally saying, hey, I want you to build your worldview not on passing fads and trends of the day, but on God and ultimate reality in him and his power. You know, more often than not, we don't think about what a worldview is. 
All of us have one, whether we're conscious of it or not. A worldview is simply this collection of answers that we have operating within us to questions we've posed to ourselves, whether consciously or subconsciously. Why am I here? Who am I? How do I know who I am and why I'm here? Why does the world exist? How do I know anything at all? What's wrong with the world? What's right about the world? What direction are things in humanity heading? How do we celebrate what's right about the world and how do we right what's wrong about the world? The way you answer all those questions is your worldview. Paul's saying, hey, the reason why I preach what I preach and the reason why I preach it the way I preach it is I want you to have a worldview that's built on what's true. The God of the universe who spoke creation into existence, who upholds it by the word of his power and who's redeeming all things through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, hey, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of men is a passing fad. Have you ever listened to your grandparents say something, and if you let them talk long enough, you move from like, I love grandma, to oh my gosh, if we let grandma outside, she would get canceled in 11 minutes on the street. Like our grandparents actually believe things that we're horrified by. But the fact of the matter is, if we live long enough, stuff that we think is just how the world works now is gonna be horrifying to our grandchildren because the wisdom of men changes about as quickly as fashions in denim change. Paul says, I want your faith, I want what you're leaning on and leaning into to be built on God's power, and so do I. That, that's my desire for all of us this morning. So let's look at Paul's words here in these 10 verses, and I just want us to note three things. If you're note takers, if you want to know, does this guy know where he's headed? I have a general clue. I want us to see three elements in these 10 verses. First of all, I want us to see Paul talk about his own style. Paul talks about his style or his form. He talks secondly about God's wisdom. And then I want us to zoom out and hear what Paul says about how you receive God's wisdom to ask the question for you and for me, so what? What's that matter for me? Why does Paul's style and God's wisdom have anything to do with you and me in 2022? So let's walk through those three things together. Let's talk about Paul's style, let's talk about God's wisdom, and then let's ask, what the heck does that mean for us? First and foremost, let's talk about Paul's style. Literally, the form of his preaching. Read verses one and two with me of 1 Corinthians chapter two. Paul says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, hey, when I came to you, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul uses a word in chapter one that's a helpful heading to put on this when we think about his style. Paul's talking about eloquence. Now the irony in this moment, if you think about it, is Paul is here in this letter saying, I didn't come to you with wisdom and being overly articulate, and he's saying this in arguably the most artistic and beautiful and eloquent letter in all the New Testament. 
I mean, there are turns of phrase in this book that we use all the time. And we just think, man, like, where did a, a phrase that powerful come from? Well, the fact of the matter is it came from Paul's pen. It came from Paul's passion. It came from Paul's style of communication. But he says he wasn't eloquent among them. If you look in verse 4, he continues. He says, hey, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul isn't saying that he was unintelligent. Paul isn't saying that he was unintelligible. Paul isn't saying that he was unpersuasive. Paul's not saying that he's intentionally stupid. He's, he's not talking about the stability of his logic. He's talking about the stability of his authority. He said, hey, when I was before you, I wasn't trying to preach to you something compelling so that when I walked off the stage, you guys thought, man, Paul is the man. Paul knows what it's all about. I've never heard anybody talk like Paul. The, the, the world at Corinth was driven by public speakers and performance artists trying to impress and overdo the last person that spoke. And Paul says, hey, when I was among you, that wasn't my style. I, I didn't come trying to out-preach the guy that had come before me. I didn't come trying to out-influence the influencers you were impressed with. I came trying to orient the totality of my words so that you would hear Jesus is your only hope, not, wow, listen to Paul. That, that's what he means when he says, hey, I didn't come talking this way. Look at verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He doesn't mean that he divested himself of every piece of knowledge save the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's saying, hey, when I was with you, I was actually very deliberate and very strategic to line up every word I chose so that by God's grace, Jesus might be supreme in your imagination, in your affections, in your desires, in your hopes, so that every word I spoke called attention to him and not to me. Do, do you see what he's saying when he's saying, hey, this is how I was among you? He said, I, I didn't come to win a preach off. I wanted Jesus to be supreme among you. He goes on to talk about not just the style of his speech. He says, I wasn't eloquent among you. He says, but it wasn't just that my sermon was unimpressive. I was unimpressive. Look at verse three with me. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, I don't know what kind of physical issue Paul carried with him in his body. But it was significant enough for Paul that he could say in Colossians chapter one, this thing I bear in me, this weakness I carry, exists to magnify the strength of the living Messiah, Jesus. And whatever it was, it was significant enough in his body that his detractors in 2 Corinthians 10 used Paul's weakness as a way to undermine him and cast shade on him when he was gone. 
He said, yeah, hey, I've heard what the people are saying about me. They say, wow, Paul writes really impressive, le- or writes really impressive letters, but have you been in his presence? Have you heard him talk? Have you seen him? Woof. I think that's 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, rough translation. Paul says, hey, I, I know that people use my weakness to, to run me down when I'm not there. Whatever his weakness was, it was significant enough, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that three times he begged God to take it away from him. Three times he said, I asked God, will you take this thing out of my body that's with me all the time, preaching the glory of Jesus? And he says three times God's answer to him was no. And why was God's answer to him no? Because the Lord said to Paul, hey, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul is telling us, hey guys, the medium is the message. He said, it's not just that I tried to use all my words to make much of Jesus. My very presence among you makes much of him because there's nothing impressive about me. But, but it wasn't just his body or whatever weakness he carried with him. Look, he says, I was with you in weakness and I was with you in fear and in much trembling. Now, I have no idea what was going on with Paul in Corinth. And I, I always just imagine Paul to be a relatively confident communicator, a damn the torpedoes kind of guy that's just like, hey, we're gonna preach Jesus, and if they try to kill us, it's happened before, let's go. I don't know if Paul regularly struggled with anxiety, but Acts chapter 18 makes it clear to us that when he was in Corinth, he struggled profoundly with anxiety and profoundly with fear, so much so that God had to comfort him personally to say, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. Go on preaching. I've given you a message, Paul. Share it among these people. Don't let whatever's frightening you keep you from doing what I've appointed you to do. There's people in Corinth that I've designed to save, God says. Paul says, hey, remember all that? Remember the way in which I was with you? Everything about my message was reminding you my main point. And the main point we see is like, in the center of the passage, like even uh, symmetrically, it's verse five. He says, hey, all of this was done so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, which the power of God was the third element of Paul's style. He said, hey, I was with you in um, not an impressive speech, in weakness and unimpressiveness of body, but I was present with you with demonstrations of the manifest presence of God and of power, right? He says, hey, I I didn't speak smoothly, verse four. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now this word demonstration is a technical phrase. And, And it's, It's the thing you did in public speaking when you had made a compelling argument and connected it to another compelling argument and then your mic drop moment in a speech when everyone was like, wow, that's the demonstration. 
And Paul says, hey, my demonstration wasn't this flip of a phrase or use of an illustration where everyone was amazed with me. My demonstration, the mic drop snap in my speech was God's presence and power among you. Think about that for a second. What what does he mean when he says the, the demonstration of the spirit and of power? Well, people have said, well, would this be the manifestation of miraculous gifts and spiritual gifts? Of course. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, hey, when I was with you, I manifested all the signs of an apostle with signs and wonders. Yes, the Spirit of God did demonstrate his presence and his power among the people of Corinth with miracles. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about right here in the sense of like prophecy and healing and things of that nature. It seems clear from the context that the demonstration of the presence of the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit of God was the lives transformed by God that were in the very place. Paul says, hey, you, you want me to tell you what my, like the snap of my moment was? You want me to tell you what my mic drop was? You. When God changed you, when he took you and reoriented your identity and transformed your passions, when he changed the way you draw near to people. Yeah, you remember when you used to just draw near to people to use them, to get something from them, to to leverage them to make something out of you, and now you draw near to people to serve them? Paul says, that's the way I was with you. That was the mic drop moment in my preaching. It was when the Spirit of God changed you. And I wonder how many of you bear the same kind of testimony of the Spirit of God and of power in your bodies now. Maybe some of you used to be incredibly judgmental. And now instead, your perception of people is ruled by compassion and mercy instead of judgment. Maybe you used to try to violate intimacy with people, like to push people away with sarcasm. And you were rewarded because people laughed at you and thought you were funny, but nobody knew your heart. And then you, you realized by God's grace, as the gospel of the crucified and raised Messiah started to change you by God's grace, that you didn't have to be afraid of people and you didn't have to push people away. And in love and in mercy, you could take risks. I just wonder where the demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power is at work among you now. And I wonder what might be said about God's presence and power among you in the next semester, the next year, the next five years. Paul says, hey, that, that was the compelling piece of my argument is God taking selfish, narcissistic, prideful, unforgiving people and transforming them by his grace so that people could look at you and say, surely God is in this place. I remember the year I came to faith. I don't know if this song had been around for years. I became a Christian in high school. The year I came to faith, we sang this song all the time. And the chorus was, we can see the love of God in this place. 
And it was some, the, the two, two lines in the middle, I can't remember. But, but the last thing, the last line of the song was, you do all things well, just look at our lives. And it wasn't like, look how awesome we are, God. I mean, we're amazing. You, you're, you're doing great, God. High five. No, the point of the song was, hey, God, you, you do miraculous, unimaginable things. Look at me. I was dead and you made me alive. I was, I was in darkness, a prisoner to darkness, and you now adopted me and made me a son of light. I can see your love in this place. That, that's what Paul's saying. And, and here's the thing. As you hear Paul say, hey, my, my message wasn't about persuasive speech. It was about power. He doesn't want us to think that he wasn't trying to give us something. It's not like Paul didn't have a worldview he was urging us to take hold of. Read verses 6 to 10 with me. Paul says, don't think I didn't come trying to actually preach a message to you. I actually came to give you something. I came to compel you. I came to persuade you. <clears throat> Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you something here, Paul says. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. And again, he's not talking about wisdom the way we use the word. He's talking about wisdom in terms of a worldview. He said, I, I, I came to give you a worldview. It's not a worldview of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and a hidden wisdom of God. He's talking about Jesus, not a puzzle or a mystery. The, the mystery of God is not something that's hard to figure out. It's something that's impossible to figure out unless God puts it on display and reveals it. And he says, hey, I'm preaching to you the, the wisdom of God, which is not secret and hidden like you would fathom. It was kept hidden for generations, but God has now put on display for our glory. None of the rulers of this age would understood, understood this, Paul says. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. What, what is Paul trying to give us? And the answer is something to build your life on. That's wisdom. You know, we think of the ways in which we use the word wisdom. Oh, she's very wise. But no, Paul's saying, hey, I want to give you something to build your life on. Something that will bear the weight of your existence. I want to give you something meaningful to lean on. And it's not what the rulers of this age hold fast to. It's not what you're being proffered in um, the worlds we inhabit in television, media, friends, etc. It's based on the, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, which is Jesus. God himself stepped into our world. That, that's the wisdom of God. Now, I, I want us to close by asking these three questions because Paul answers them in the text. Who receives the wisdom of God? Who doesn't receive it? And how does one receive it? This, this for me is the moment for us of like, so what? What's this matter to me, pastor? Well, let's ask how it matters to us in answering, well, who receives this wisdom of God? If this is based on God's power and ultimate reality in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, not on the passing fads and philosophies of this world, who receives this wisdom? Who doesn't receive it? And how do we receive it? So look with me at verse six. Paul answers who receives it. He says, yet we do impart wisdom. Well, to who, Paul? Among the mature. Now, if, <laughs> if you knew me, almost none of you in this room do, but if you knew me, you would chuckle even when I say that word because it doesn't matter what group I'm in, I'm always the least mature person in the room. It's been the story of my whole life. Even if it's just me and my kids, I'm the least mature person in the group. My 11-year-old is always the most mature person if it's just me with the group. 
But, but if you're anything like me, rest easy because Paul isn't talking about developmental maturity. He's not saying, hey, those of you who listen and you know, arrange the rules and obey the best, that's, that's who this is received among. Nor does he mean maturity as an intellectual thing, as if you only get this when you graduate college. This isn't a developmental maturity. This isn't an intellectual maturity. This is actually a moral maturity, which means, Paul says, hey, we do impart wisdom, and it's among those who realize that they are not the solution to the problem in the world because, in fact, they are the cause of the problem in this world. What worldly wisdom teaches us all the time, friends, is the problem is outside of us and the solution is on the inside of us. Let me ask you a question. How's worldly wisdom working for you? Godly wisdom, based on the power of God and the truth of God says, the problem is inside of all of us. And the only solution to our problem has to come from outside of us. The kind of maturity Paul's talking about, which he literally says, hey, we impart this, we impart this wisdom among those who are complete. And what he means is the, the kind of finished work that begins with saying, I'm the problem here. I need God to heal what I've made sick. I need God to straighten what I've bent. I need God to mend what I've tattered. I need God to clean what I've made dirty. The only thing I bring to the equation is my need for it. And what you're hearing right now are the words of the mature person that Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Who receives the wisdom of God? Those who by God's grace realize they need it. The, the, the wisdom of this world is predicated on you at the center. Like the wisdom of this world takes all of us and makes us the main actor in the story, the hero or the heroine. Everything's about us and we're living in a music video that's about us in a song that's about us that we're singing about us. That's the wisdom of this world. And Paul says if you're willing to acknowledge that is not a way to be made whole. Paul says, you're there. You're there. You have what it takes to receive the impartation of the wisdom of God. Who can't receive the wisdom of God? Well, simple. He talks about the rulers of this age. And what he's talking about is people who are committed and who have so much buy-in to a worldview that's predicated on the lies of this age, the passing fads of this moment that you literally can't let it go. Hey, I have too much invested in me at the center. I have too much invested in me being celebrated for being the one that fixed the problems. It's about my education and my earning potential and my hopes for marriage and my desire to have kids and my desire for what my kids do and how I function in a world that's changing. That, that to me is how I'm gonna be okay. Paul says, if you're so committed to that worldview, you cannot receive the wisdom of God. That's who doesn't get it. It's people who are so devoted to their own glory that they can't acknowledge that their search for their own glory is the problem. That's the problem. How, how do you receive 
what Paul's laboring to impart with his weak, fearful, unimpressive message. Look at verse 10 and then we'll wrap it here. How do you receive the wisdom of God? These things God has revealed to us, Paul says, through the Spirit. How, how do you receive the impartation of the wisdom of God? The answer is, God gives it to you. It's not about your own intelligence. It's not about your performance. It's not about your abilities. Paul says, the way we receive this is, God revealed it to us. Things that our eyes couldn't have seen things that our ears couldn't have heard, things that our minds couldn't have imagined. God, because he loves us and is scandalously generous, reveals these things to us. Who, who can receive the wisdom of God? Those who are willing to acknowledge their need for it. And how do they receive it, Paul says? Through God's supernatural grace. That, brothers and sisters, is the wisdom of God. And Paul oriented every element of his communication to direct us to it. Let's pray together.